Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. It is Monday morning, Sean, and we are recording this podcast before camps around the league open, but it is a big day. Phase three of the NHL's return to play plan opens today. I'll be heading to Rangers practice. Excited about it. You jacked up? Ready to go? I am ready to go. First of all, this is the first morning that I've had to be up by seven o'clock and I can't remember how long. <laughs> just to get ready for this and B it feels like a normal work day the only thing that's missing Dan and, and you don't know this because you're not in the office for a lot of the big events we have here on the road somewhere is there's no donuts no donuts bring three dozen donuts to work makes everybody happy because the sugared up staff is a is a productive staff but no donuts today I'll go out and get some donuts you go out and get some donuts and I'll eat three boxes if I need to okay well, uh, that's why I didn't get donuts I was going to get them and take a picture of them and be like see boys I was thinking of you but then there I got to go. eat a dozen donuts. Well, obviously, look, we're as we said, we're recording this before training camps officially open, I guess, before teams get on the ice. So there will be news breaking throughout the day, throughout the week. You can certainly follow that on NHL.com with us, and we'll be back later this week, hopefully, to chat about what's going on. But for right now, this is a reaction to the news we got Friday and then the press conference on Saturday. The, the CBA four-year extension for the collective bargaining agreement carries through the year 25 the season 2025 26 there is a provision in there sean to carry it one more year beyond that and obviously the return to play plan all ratified by the league the board of governors the nhlpa membership their executive board where everybody's on board and i think sean as i look back at this having gotten the news and, and digested everything friday night and you know had the press conference on saturday the thing that still sticks out to me and it's stuck out to me for a number of days now is the cooperation between the two sides in it being able to get all of this done you know during a pandemic nonetheless to have labor peace to have hockey again this season hopefully and I just think it's amazing. You know, you've seen these two sides butting heads before, and this time they all worked for the greater good of the game, the league, the players, the owners, the, the everybody. And I just think it's they deserve a lot of credit for this. Uh, I really think it, it. You know, we can't be saying that enough. Yeah, no, for sure. And I thought that our call, our 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 colleague Nick Kotsvanika, who's our columnist, I was combining colleague <laughs> and columnist into a new word, um, really captured it well on Saturday with his column, his piece on the press conference and the fact that, you know, this, everybody's in this together. It's the same as society. Like we, we have to figure this out and we have to come together to figure it out. And the NHL, maybe more than any sport so far has come together to figure it out. And to me, the telling thing was the, the, majority was so huge in, in passing it after they announced that uh, you know the the agreement and it had to be voted on there was some concern as friday went along like well if this doesn't pass everybody's gonna go back to the the table and figure out what's going to happen and then you know you see the numbers being reported and it was more than three quarters so you know I think everybody understands these are really smart people that are at these tables and, you know, and they understand to get back to where this league needs to be for everybody to be made whole. There has to be some cooperation. If, you know, everybody's not giving a little bit, nobody's getting anything. And I think that's what's happened here is, you know, the players gave a little bit, the owners gave a little bit, you know, the owners gave the players the Olympics and some other things that they wanted. The players gave some things back that they had to give back. And, and, there's a frameable working relationship here that can get everybody out of the hole that the pandemic's caused. Yeah, no question. And I think you brought it up um, 
the very important things there are the Olympics, uh, escrow. Those were huge things for the players. Uh, before we move on, I do want to say that uh, our guest today will be Tom Galitti, our colleague from NHL.com. We actually were able to catch up with Tom last week, so we're going to play that interview. We talk all about this return to play and the CBA and, and all that in that interview. So that's coming up soon. But, you know, Sean, the give on the owner side of the Olympics, I think, was the most telling part of this whole thing um, because I thought that they were so staunchly against it. And now while it's not a lock yet, because they still have to come to an agreement with the international Olympic committee and the double IHF, there's a give there to have the players participate in the Olympics in 2022 and in 2026. And also another huge thing was capping escrow. Uh, that, that is such a, a huge factor for the players. They all don't like escrow. Nobody does, but it's part of the system. It has to be, in the system to account for a 50-50 split in hockey-related revenues, and they're capping it next season at 20%. And Gary Bettman said it on Saturday at the press conference. If they didn't cap it, it would have been way more than 20% based on the revenue loss this season. And then it's 14 to 18% next season, 10% the year after that. And for the last three years of the deal, it's at 6%. So those two things, to me, Olympics and escrow, are major gives on the owner's side and a real telling sign of the cooperation that they gave. And the creativity that everybody had to come up with, again, you know, we're dealing with a situation, I, I thought, you know, and Matthew Schneider was talking specifically about going to the hub cities, but I thought when he said, look, it's like we're going to Mars. Yeah. Nobody's ever been here. Nobody's ever been here, period. Nobody's ever lived through an, a, a pandemic. Nobody alive has ever lived through a pandemic. The last one was in 1918. So, you know, there's got to be some creativity and there's got to be some cooperation to get through it and to figure out. And I think there's an understanding that you're not going to have that V shaped recovery, right? That everybody, when this first started was like, Oh, well maybe, you know, we go way down and we come way back up. It's going to be a much more gradual climb up the mountain. And if it's not, then you, there's ability in there to adjust anyways, you know, as, as revenues go up, so does the salary cap, right? So the salary cap is going to be flat for this year and next year. And then as certain revenue goals are achieved, that salary cap is going to go up. So it, it, it's kind of set up for whatever happens in the next three years um, to, to cause the least amount of pain for each side as possible. Yeah, and that, and that was really the keys for what they were looking to do here is to, to, to manage this so they can come out of this in a good position number of years from now it's not about just right now what is about just right now is getting back on the ice and that is you know we've seen the 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 protocols for phase three and we've seen the protocols for phase four but just the idea you know the detail in them by the way is is just absolutely incredible but they're going to get back on the ice now and that's no small thing that's a huge thing for the for well for revenue number one i mean the tv and all that stuff but also to get the game back front and center in everybody's minds and i mean sean i mean on august 1st august 2nd august 3rd we're gonna have games i mean we're in the eastern time zone what is it 12 2 4 6 8 and 10 we have six games starting august 3rd five games august 1st and 2nd it's just going to be hockey thrown at you in such a, a huge amount. Fans are going to love this, and they'll be playing in Edmonton. They'll be playing in Toronto. Um, you know, it, it's this is a huge, this is a huge thing that they were able to do. But getting back on the ice, I think, as part of all this, we could talk about the collective bargaining agreement, and all that. But just getting back on the ice is so significant because it brings the business back. 
And it brings hope back. Everybody needs yeah. hope, right? Like you live through these days and you want things to be normal. And for sports fans, what's normal, right? It's turning on the TV and, and seeing a live sporting event. So I, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Yesterday I'm flipping channels in the afternoon because it was 9,000 degrees. And uh, there was a USL soccer game on ESPN. Louisville against Pittsburgh. I don't even know what USL is. It's the league below the MLS. Okay. Fans in the stands in Louisville. 3,000 fans spread out, masks on, social distancing, the whole thing. Didn't even care about the game. It just blew me away to watch a sporting event with fans. They did the same thing in in France with uh, PSG, the soccer team there. They had 5,000 fans in the stand. It was so alien that I had to watch. Yeah. And and that's the hope, right? You, you're watching it, and I found myself smiling, and I'm like, there is a road back, and this is part of it. This stage three, phase three, to get us through training camps in the home markets for each city, and then into phase four, you know, and, and into a secure zone in Toronto and in Edmonton, and then to play games every day and for teams to play every second day mostly, um, you know, for a good two months. And I think about it, the conversations I've had with, friends of mine who have never watched sports i mean i've never watched sports that are playing right now like soccer i have so many friends that aren't soccer fans who unlike you who were like i don't even know what this is or i don't even know embracing it it and saying wow you know this this mls thing they're trying to do games at nine in the morning or the english league you know with the sound piped in and everything they're loving it and it's given these leagues exposure that they might not have because the landscape isn't crowded yet. And, and that's now that's an opportunity. And I think the players and the owners saw that as well. Let's get out and, and put ourselves out there and, and, you know, maybe be attractive to fans who want that feeling of normalcy that maybe aren't hockey fans first and let them catch the bug as well. It's interesting that last night I was flipping around and I actually stopped on world team tennis on uh on espn just because it was a sporting event and the other night i was my son turned on nhl network we were watching flames oilers from january 29th it was a shootout and uh that had full fan full stand so hopefully we get back there but you say hope and, it, and this is still about hope right i mean it brings hope back to fans that you know the league's coming back and all that but we still have to get there we have to get to the hub cities edmonton and toronto and i thought Justin Williams last week in a Zoom call that I was on with him, the Carolina Hurricanes arranged, brought up a very good point. We'll touch on this also with Tom Glitty. It's the idea of it's on the players right now. Once they get into what's being called their phase four secure zones, that that's going to be a very safe place for them. There's going to be very limited things that they can do. But right now in phase three, while they're going to be tested and all that stuff going into the buildings and all that, they're going to be going home or they're going to be going to a hotel or whatnot. They're going to be walk, walking amongst us, shall we say, right? And it's on them to be responsible. And Justin Williams was, was adamant about this. He goes, players have to tighten their circles. And we have to be, as leaders on the teams, vigilant in calling these guys out if they are not doing it. Because, as he said, as a team, you're only as strong as your weakest link. But now your weakest link can take down your whole team. That's a direct quote from him. I thought it was a a very interesting point of view from a player and a needed point of view. And I'm hoping that everybody follows it. Yeah, and I don't even know that anything needs to be said. I think there's just that accountability of sitting in a locker room, seeing how hard your teammates have worked to get to this point, the sacrifices that everybody's made, and understanding that you play a huge part in that. You know, you look over and you you see your teammates who have young kids, and and obviously this is a scary time for anybody in that situation. 
um, you know, and, and you, you worry about what's going to happen and they're showing up and they're doing the things they need to do. I, I think everybody kind of feeds off of that and says, just like in the playoffs, you know, when a guy's playing hurt or whatever it might be and says, look, this is, this is serious business. This is not a lock. This is, you know, the future of our team, the future of our sport. And, you know, we're going to do what's necessary with that said, I don't, I don't know that you escape phase three completely unscathed. Um, you know, no, no league has been able to do that yet. Um, you know, MLS had issues when they tried to do it. The premier league had issues when they tried to do it Germany, but it can be managed. And again, you know, the goal is to get to phase four, the secure zones and, and you know, be able to further control what comes in and out of those quote unquote bubbles um, and, and gives you much more of a fighting chance to, to yeah. pull off what everybody has in front of them, which is like you mentioned, just an amazing celebration of hockey. I, that's, you know, I talked about hope earlier, like there's so many things that you have to worry about now. When I go to bed, the thing I try and think about is, you know, the middle of August and yeah. these really important games. And, you know, like I told my family from, 10 o'clock in the morning till one o'clock in the morning. Just count me out. Good luck with that. By the way, <laughs> I don't know that I can pass that, that check, but you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be on in various rooms. I'll tell you that much, but yeah, no, it's your it, job, it Dan. I know it is my job. I have to do it. That's it. You can't, you, I have been, I've been ordered to by my bosses to do it. That's, that's what I'm going to be saying. That works, I'll, right? I'll write you a note. Yeah. Write me a note. It's like a doctor's note. <laughs> write me out of the family for two months. <laughs> Um, no, hey, look, and it's going to be an amazing celebration. And that first um, nine, ten days is going to be just unreal, as you know, as, as with the amount of games that we have. But you know, we got to get there. And uh, now I think it's a good time that we can get to our guest. What do you think? Um, we did this interview with Tom Glitty last week. Touched on a lot of different things with the return to play uh, and the CBA. So here's that interview with our colleague Tom Glitty. Tom. Lots going on. A lot of news. First off, how are you doing? And what do you think of all the things that we've heard this week? I'm doing well. I'm getting excited about the idea of, uh, you know, training camps, getting back to seeing, you know, seeing players on the ice and practices and getting ready for ready for some games on uh, August 1st, if everything goes according to plan. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, you know, getting a getting ironing out all those details. If you looked at the at the at the documents and we and we actually posted them you know the for the return to play protocols I mean there's a lot in there but it's you know taking care of these players making sure everyone's safe and and the best you know procedures for for getting the games resumed and 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 crowning a Stanley Cup champion this year so I I think it's you know and and having a CBA uh, extension for four four more years that just on top of the two that were remaining that that really just you know, sets things up for for moving forward not just finishing this season but you know next season and and beyond that and a bunch of fun things that they're they're going to try to do and you know including you know going back to the olympics what are you most excited about besides getting out of my apartment after being here for four months <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh it, i just you know it's just to see you know what these guys we haven't seen them on you know i, I attended a practice on uh uh, the Capitals practice on March 11th and haven't seen them, you know, other than some videos that we've seen of the, uh, of the informal skates that have been doing here in phase two, I haven't really seen anything. And, you know, what, what, what do these guys look like? Or what kind of shape are they in? Are they, you know, how, you know, are, are they excited to get back? I think they are. I mean, you know, we're, you know, we're going to hopefully get the results of the vote, vote tomorrow from the players and, and get, they'll get to go ahead on this. But I think these guys are going to, you know, it, it's been a long wait and, 
you know, it's, we're used to seeing this sort of thing coming back, you know, end of August into September for a regular training camp, but now the stakes are going to be a lot higher with jumping right into games, you know, for those teams that are in the uh, best of five qualifier series, you know, they're jumping into games that are going to be the most important of their season. And, and they're going to have to get ready, like you said, two weeks to get ready basically to start playing the most important games of the season and in August. I want to go back, Tom, to something that Justin Williams was talking about on a Zoom call he did that the Hurricanes arranged on Tuesday that, that I covered and wrote about it. He said it's not about when they get into the bubble about this safety and whatnot. It's about this two-week training camp because they're not in the bubble yet where the leadership comes in. And he said, I'm going to be calling guys out if they're not doing the right things at home uh, in order to make sure that they can keep everybody on their team safe. I thought it was a very interesting point from Justin Williams. I'm curious what you thought, and if you expect leaders on teams, I mean, the team you cover right there, Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, John Carlson, I think about, to call guys out if they're not doing what they're supposed to do at home, if they hear about guys that are not, you know, not tightening their circles at this point. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good point by Justin. I don't, I don't know if we're going to see, you know, guys, you know, policing each other, but they, they kind of, someone whether it's the coach or whether it's the leaders on the team, they need to stress. Because we look at the plan and it looks pretty, you know, if they get to the two hub cities, it looks like that's a pretty good setup for them to keep these players healthy through the, through the tournament. It's getting to that point. And, you know, they're going to be tested every other day in camp, but you know, what, there's not a, there's no formal rules for when these, what these guys do when they leave the practice ring after they're done or what they do before they right. get to the practice ring. So it's going to be up to them to police themselves, to, to stay in, you know, stay away from situations that potentially they could, you know, be unhealthy in unhealthy situations and wear their masks and things like that. And, you know, and their families as well. It's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot on the players. We know that, you know, a lot of, you know, and it's, it's going to be a lot of self-responsibility to, to, um, to get through this phase to, to get to the bubbles. Uh, for the start of, of of the games, but that's that's what's going to take here, and and I think Justin really brought up a good point. I think that's probably something that's going to be addressed in some form in every NHL locker room as, when they get started. Here is like it's up to us to get through this. Here we gotta we gotta get through this so that we're all healthy going to this to the hub city and to start playing games. And I think a lot of that's going to happen organically. Look, there's an accountability. You have to sit in that locker room or stand on that ice with. 20 other guys who are doing the right thing and and nobody wants to be the guy that lets everybody down so i'm sure it's going to be mentioned but a lot of it i, I would think would just happen organically with the culture that is the hockey locker room I, I agree with that and i also think like no one is gonna you know these players will have an option to they can opt out and not play if they feel that they're not they don't feel safe doing this and i don't think anyone would hold that against them but once you opt in and you're buying in they're gonna have to be all in here for this to work and i think like you said, the culture in hockey, maybe, maybe that's, you know, we always talk about it and maybe there's some, some negative parts of that culture, but I think everybody being all in in a locker room and never more important when you're in the playoffs is, is going to be important at getting, getting through this and getting the, getting the season played. I also think it's going to be fascinating to see how the coaches handle this, uh, not in terms of the health and, and, and the, the, that, that aspect of what the guys are doing outside the ring, but just how they handle a training camp setting, which is really not a training camp. It's a return to play. Uh, how hard do you push if you're a coach? When do you push? And how much do you need to rely on your leadership 
core, your assistant, your, your captains and your alternate captains to, to really guide you in what the players can handle because we don't know yet what these players are going to be able to handle at the very start. So I think, I mean, what do you think? I think that's a very going to be very interesting to see what these first few days of practice look like. Yeah, this is this is not a normal training camp where you uh, – training camp has changed from even, you know, 15, 10 years ago when, when guys still got into right. shape when before camp. Now, usually, training camp in September is two or three days of practice and you play your first exhibition game and you have a lot of young players and prospects and guys that are fitting into the game. It's a slow build. This is going to be, you know, I don't, you know, we're going to, I think this is going to, the first two days are going to be, a, you know, seeing where the guys are conditioning wise and, and what they can handle. And then you're going to have to, you know, I've heard some coaches talking about, you know, scrimmaging situational uh, practices where they work specifically on in situations or game situations, you know, power play, penalty kill, things like that, but also like scores, protecting the lead, you know, offensive zone. These are going to be a lot of trying to simulate game situations so that they are, you know, they're going to be jumping into these, into what are essentially playoff games with, you know, with not, with nothing but one, I think one exhibition game before that to really, to really gear up. So they're going to, these practices, these camps in that two week, two week period there is, are going to be very important for teams to get ready and, and engage where they are as far as their conditioning. So uh, this is one of the biggest questions going into that. I mean, you can do all that, but who do you think has the advantage? Is it is it the veteran older teams like like the Bruins, uh, you know, who have been through countless playoffs and and understand what it what it takes, or is it a is it a young team like an Edmonton or somebody like that with a ton of fresh legs, you know, young guys who are just going to show up and and be free and able to skate and not really going to need a long run up period to to get things done. That, that's that's a that's a good question, and you know, so there are two different ways to look at it. Like you said, uh, the young guys maybe they they can bounce back. You know, you're younger, you can, you know, you, it doesn't take you long to get it, that conditioning back. These older guys, though, on the other on the other hand, older players, you know, they may benefit from this time off in terms of instead of going into the playoffs all beat up, they're going to be healthy. It's just getting through this camp, you know, as far as injuries and stuff like that. So there's t- there's two ways to look at it. Um, it's gonna, you know, how how an older body reacts. You know, I've, I've been watching, you know, a little bit of Alex Ovechkin on his Instagram and and what the work that he has done with his trainer and stuff like that. So I, I anticipate a guy. You know, he's he's 34. I think he's gonna be in great shape. He was in great shape at the start of camp last year. So it's gonna depend, I think, also on the work that these guys have put in during the, during this time and some of what they were able to do. They were limited in some ways of what they were able to do at least initially because you know they were basically stuck at home and whatever equipment they had to work with at home was the, was the way they were able to stay in shape. At least in the last couple of weeks, they've been able to start doing these uh, informal skates and, and stuff like that and get more access to, to other equipment. So I, I really, I guess it's going to depend, I think, for the older guys on, on what kind of work they were able to do during this almost four months off to, to make their conditioning be, you know, as, as good as it can be for the start of, of playing again. I'm going to answer that question too, Sean, and I'm going to throw it back at you for an answer as well, because I'm curious what you think too. But I think, I just have this feeling that these teams, like you said, the younger teams with the fresher legs, the Oilers, the, the Avalanche, uh, that's those types of teams. I think they are going to be better situated for this because it doesn't take as long for them to get up and running to the speed they need to be at once gameplay starts. And I almost look at it like an old car, right? You know, an older player, maybe like an older car. 
it can once it gets up and running, it moves and they can do things. But it just takes a little bit longer. And I wonder if that two week period and one exhibition game is going to be enough time for some of these older clubs to get moving the way they need. I think a team like the Bruins might benefit because they don't have to get right into a, a playoff series, so to speak. They play that round robin, so it helps them. They're already in. But I look at a team, you know, like the Oilers, I think, are, are, are ripe for getting started right away. Like teams like that and the Avalanche, even though they're, they're also in that round robin. Sean, what do you think? Which do you lean one way or the other? I believe so much in experience. When you look at every team that's gone on a deep run, they've been loaded with older players that have been through it before. You need to learn how to win before you can win. Um, you know, and, and to me, that's that would be my concern with a team like the Oilers is is that they don't have a ton of playoff experience. Um, you know, and, and you know, I'll use a different analogy. To me, it's almost like a, a baseball pitcher who, you know, relies on his fastball and all of a sudden it disappears and he's able to spot his curveball, um, you know, or, or change speeds or whatever. I, I just think that some of these veteran teams that have been through so many deep runs – are going to be able to weather those early storms, the fresh legs, the the other team coming at them, and there's going to be no mo- there's going to be no emotion to build off of. You're going to have to generate it. Like a young team can't build off its crowd going crazy, and a, and an older team can be like, hey, we've been here ten times before. This is going to change, and they're not going to be able to build off of what they built in one period. So, I, I to me, I think experience is going to be tantamount in something that's never happened before because those teams can rely on what they've accomplished in the past. No, and I, and I think that's fair. Um, I certainly can see why you run on that track. The other thing, we got to get to it too. Look, the, the collective bargaining agreement, this is huge, guys. Like, we've dealt with, with this before, the, the labor unrest, the lockouts. Um, we've all covered them. Uh, not a lot of fun. And now it's almost like the NHL becomes the model for you know how to get to labor peace and using time wisely this is no small thing uh, a four-year extension to have labor peace through 25 20 the 2025 26 season uh tom were you at all surprised that they were able to get it done at the same time they were able to get the return to play stuff done that you know because i know they were talking about this and they had been had a few meetings but it almost like this pandemic kicked everything into gear. Yeah, they uh, they had to almost they had to change gears really. I mean, they were talking about an, an extension to the CBA after both both sides decided not to opt out of the current CBA in September. But that was a slow process, and then they were looking at a different landscape as far as what you know they didn't know any of this was going to happen, and you know when they were talking about what the what the extension would look like, and then you know the circumstances demand you know pretty much demanded they needed to put together a long-term plan. It couldn't, it couldn't just come back for the rest of the season and next season and, and then not know what the league was going to look like beyond, beyond that with the, with the CBA or two more years of the current CBA. So this was essential. And yeah, it was a huge, from looking at all the details, it was a huge undertaking for both sides to get this done at the same time as you know, figuring out all the, all the return to play protocols. So yeah, a little bit surprised. Yes. But I think, you know, this is a situation both sides understood that it was essential. They had to get both done for them to come back to play this season. And for the long-term, you know, success of the league and the players, they needed to work together on this. And they were forced to do it. Just, there were no distractions, right? What else are you going to do, but negotiate everything, whether it's the return to play or the CBA, but there needed to be a financial 
constraint to to make this all happen. And I think the one of the biggest things out of this and the thing we're going to talk about for a long time is the flat cap for the next couple of years. The fact that, you know, the cap's not going to go up to try and save some of the financial hardship that's happened um, because of the pandemic. So, you know, a lot of teams now understand that for at least the next two years, they're at where they're at now and they need to figure out how to build their team going forward, you know, whether it's adding people or understanding that some some very long term contracts are going to choke them at the top for the next couple of years. So I, to me, that's the most interesting part is when you look at the teams across the league and, and now that they know that there's no wiggle room that you usually get, even if it's a million to two million dollars a year as you go forward that cushion's not there anymore. And now teams have to figure out what they're going to do. I, I think, you know, not only is, are these playoffs going to be the, maybe the most interesting we've ever seen um, and, and most compelling, but this off season is going to be wild as well. I, I agree it's, uh, with Sean there that it's going to be a, an interesting off season. And really, I think an interesting couple of seasons here going forward as, as you know, the NHL, like the rest of, you know, the world, is you know recovers from this pandemic and and hopefully you know there are there's a vaccine or whatever is needed in place so that most of next season can be played with with fans in the in the in the still in the building so that you know that that helps with revenue that helps with everything you know we we want to we want to return to normalcy on many levels and and if that if next season is played in full with you know with fans for most of it you know that 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 helps things going forward so there's a lot to get through still. And it's going to be interesting to watch as we go forward. And I think, that, you know, again, getting back to the partnership between the players and, and the owners here was was essential to get this done. And and they they worked to get it done. The commissioner, Donald Fair, getting this done was really uh, a, a huge undertaking. And they deserve they all both sides deserve a lot of credit, I think, to, for getting to coming to the agreement on the CBA and the, on these protocols for return to play. Yeah. And, and what you also saw was a lot of give too, uh, in order to make this happen, give on both sides, but two areas where I didn't think the league and the owners would be willing to budge was the Olympic participation, which we're going to see in 2022 and 2026, provided that the, the NHL and the NHLPA can come to an agreement with the IOC and the IIHF, which I don't foresee, I, I hope I don't see any obstacles to that, so that's number one, and then the cap on escrow, as it, you know, it rolls down, the cap on escrow through the course of this CBA, I, I didn't think, you know, I wondered about that, if there would be any give. So I think that's so essential to this, right, Tom? Like you had to oh, yeah. get give on both sides and those two factors, boy, I didn't, I didn't see budge. And then, you know, you see the budge all of a sudden and, and that's how you come to an agreement because those two areas, Olympic participation and escrow, probably the two biggest things for the players. The players obviously have been talking about escrow for years, and in this situation, it was important, you know, coming off of the, you know, what the big hit economically because of the pandemic, you know, that they were, they stood to lose a lot of money in escrow. So the the league did give in there and and address the concern of the players with capping escrow, and the players, you know, have have given some too, as far as you know, deferring some payment, you know, some salary and things like that to to kind of work things out long-term. And again, that goes back to having a long-term plan here. It couldn't have worked that without it. And the Olympics, we know the players have wanted to do it. The owners were not as convinced. And, you know, this is, that was a definitely a, a give by the, by the, by the league there to, you know, to help the players that who they want that they wanted to, to see that, to go back and play, be it in those best on best 
Olympics and being on that on that world stage. So that'll be that'll be fun to see in in 2022 and 2026 if if the as you said if they can come to an agreement with the IOC and the IAHF. Yeah, and and look, I mean, there were concessions given everywhere, right? I mean, right. and it's going to take us forever to digest the CBA. It's it's a huge document, but some of the details that have come out. Look, I just the fact that the the salaries, the H A H R R and the salaries were delinked for a couple of years is groundbreaking. I mean, that's never happened. At times, it was never going to happen. Once it was agreed to, it was always going to be a 50-50 split, and and that's what the players wanted, and you know the owners certainly wanted that as well. Um, so to do that was was a monumental give as well. Uh, you know, I'm curious as you as you look at how everything's going to come out of this. Do you see in constructing rosters going forward? Is this and it's been moving this way for a number of years, Tom? Do you see the the premium on young players on entry level contracts, particularly? In, in prime positions, like, say, a goaltender like a Carter Hart in Philadelphia, that that's going to become even more pronounced now? It it, it definitely could. And like you said, it's been moving in that direction, really, uh last few years. The, the importance of having of young players on on their entry-level contract where that where that salary and the cap hit are, are you know, they're, they're lower. And that allows you to, you know, if you can have players who can contribute at a lower salary, that always helps when you have, you know, trying to get under a cap. And and with the you know the cap not going up, it's going to be you know that if you have guys like that, it allows you to maybe address some other areas, use your money to to address some other areas, and have a more complete team. And really, it's so it's always like a you know a, a, a cycle in terms of you have to have your veteran guys there, but you need to have young players who can contribute uh, to to really have a complete team in the NHL today. And I think it's going to be even more important. I agree with you in the in the coming couple of years here, where the cap's going to be going to be you know flat and there's not going to be that that growing that you know the, the room for more more to be added each year tom i'm going to put you on the spot here you don't know i'm going to ask you this never told you um but i have answered questions like this for predictions in my mailbag and i'm curious this will be the last time we get you on a podcast before training camp start because they start next week we won't do another one before they start you got any favorites who's your favorite in the west who's your favorite in the east uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if the answers are different than when we stopped, but I think I probably was leaning towards St. Louis when we stopped. But for some reason, I got a feeling like this could be Colorado easier now if they could just get the goaltending. I, I, they're healthy, you know, they, coming off this break, is, I think has helped. They're one of the teams I think this will help. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to I think go with, with Colorado. They got healthy with guys like Rantanen coming back. And and uh, in the East, I think I'm going to stay with Boston, though. I think the way this tournament is, it's really – I'll probably look foolish if this thing could be wide open uh, because we really just don't know what's going to happen, you know, with with uh, how teams come back. and But having everybody healthy is going to be interesting to see. Like Pittsburgh, I think they look like a different team now because they're going to have Gensel back. You know, things like that, you, you just couldn't have – couldn't that couldn't have happened in in April can happen now. So you're Sorry. going young, young versus old to go all back to our original argument. And I have one last one for you. Look, we can't get you off of this podcast without talking a little bit about the team that you cover the most in the Capitals. And I want to tie it back to the things we've just been talking about. What does this team look like, you know, coming into this new world with a flat cap? You know, Braden Holpe needs a new contract and there's a young goalie underneath him that, that could take over. Um, you know, they have some high-end guys that are taking up a large part of their cap and they're getting a little bit older. So, so what does this team look like both short-term and long-term coming out of this? 
Yeah, the, the question about Braden Holtby was going to be there regardless of what happened, you know, this happening. Um, I think it was pretty much leaning towards him probably leaving, and I, I, think, I think that's probably still going to happen, but you, you, we'll have to see how the, how the tournament goes and, and also what he's looking for. You know, this is a different – instead of having an entire summer to, you know, or go into the summer and, and to, to move his family if he does change teams, and this is going to – you know, we're looking at a you know, free agency in, in October and moving in November, and that's, you know, with a guy with a family and so like that might be harder to do. So maybe that impacts, what, you know, does he take a shorter-term deal somewhere just to kind of get through the next season and then go from there? These are things you know, that we're going to have to try to – I guess we're going to have to find out here in the coming months. I think, yeah, they, they have some cap situations, and it's not going to be easier with a flat cap. They needed a little more space to get some of the things done that they're going to need to do. They're going to need to, you know, hope that, you know, Ilya Samsonov is ready to be the number one goalie next year probably and things like that. And the young young defenseman may be coming in uh, like, you know, we saw Martin Ferrari earlier this year, and they have uh, Alexander Alexiev, another young guy they drafted in 2018. Uh, th- those guys, you know, they're going to need – the young, like most, like we were talking about before, the young players to step in who can play, you know, at, you know, play good roles, but with, at a at a low cap hit that can make them maybe adjust the other things they need to adjust to to move forward as a team and continue to stay stay uh, as competitive as they as they have been. The other thing that would be interesting to watch is Alex Ovechkin next year will be the final year on his contract, and I think it's something like three four three three or four days after this. CBA is ratified. They'll be able to negotiate a, or, or sign into extension if, if that's what they want to do. And what he'll want to do beyond how long he wants to sign beyond that is also another another question that'll be coming in the in the next year. That is no question a fascinating storyline to follow. But uh, Tom, by the way, Sean bailed on the predictions. Uh, he didn't answer. So after we do let you go, I'm going to put him on the spot so he can give okay. some predictions. But before we let you go, you just talked about the team you cover now. But we got to ask you about the team you covered for decades, too, the New Jersey Devils, and the news of Lindy Ruff leaving the New York Rangers bench as an assistant to go coach the Devils and Tom Fitzgerald getting the full-time GM tag. What's your thoughts on Lindy Ruff? Well, you know, it's interesting. Have we ever seen that before, a Rangers assistant go to coach the Devils? Or <laughs> I don't know if we've ever seen that before. Uh, but, uh, you know, Lindy you know, has a relationship with Tom Fitzgerald from, from back when – you know, when, when Tom was playing uh, in Florida and then Lindy was an assistant there. So they go back a while. It's an, inter- it's interesting. You know, I think the devils, I thought they might go with a younger coach, but they just did that. So maybe they, they feel like an experienced guy is the way to go. And you look at uh, the work that Lin- when Lindy coached in Dallas, the team they, that, that he had there, they played fast. They were aggressive. They were an offensive team. I think they led the, the league in goals in 2015, 16. So that's the thing, you know, maybe he, they have some pieces there in New Jersey. I think they have more pieces than, pe- than people realize. But, you know, they're going to try to score some more goals, it seems like. I, I, I'll be interested to see how their defense, as far as not getting offense in front of it, but just preventing the puck from coming in their net. Goaltending and defense have been an issue for them the last couple of years. And so Lindy's going to have to work on, their, work on that. I know he worked with the defensemen in, in New York with their guys there, and it did a decent job. So he's, th- those are things that the challenges that are ahead of him. I'm a little surprised with Lindy. Lindy, but well, he has, has experience. We'll see how uh, see how things fit there, and I'm 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 pleased for for Tom Fitzgerald because I think he's put in his, paid his dues here, uh, you know, as an assistant GM in Pittsburgh and uh, and also New Jersey, and I think he was ready for this step to be a full, for be a GM full time. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do here to to kind of reignite that uh, rebuilding process that they had had with Ray Shiro, and now he's taking it over and 
and you know, one, and they need to take the keys to get back to the playoffs as quickly as possible. Well, Tom, I, I could talk to you about hockey all day. We have in the past, and we will hopefully again soon in the future. But we have so much to cover on this week's podcast. We're going to have to let you go, and hopefully, we'll catch up with you again soon. Enjoy getting out of your apartment, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to us having a conversation about games and not, you know, the idea of playing games and and you know, and health concerns and like that. If we can start talking about some actual hockey games that'll be fun so i look forward to that next conversation let's pick up right where we left off there with uh lindy ruff and the new jersey devils um i was a little surprised as well i i I wasn't locked into lindy ruff as being a top candidate for them but you know and ranger fans will argue with me tooth and nail on this one because a lot of them don't like him for some reason but uh and, and look their defense wasn't terrific uh being run by lindy ruff but you had younger players like tony d'angelo and Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren all have strong seasons and young players that were developing under Lindy Ruff here. And I think that's very important for the Devils that, you know, he has shown that he can handle today's young players. It's a little different than, you know, when he was in his heyday with Buffalo, the players in the league are different now. The personalities in the league are different. And and I think Lindy Ruff proved that he can he can work with young players and handle young players. And that's what the Devils have. I mean, they're relying on, their their cornerstone players, two of them are centers down the middle who are both very young in Jack Hughes and Nico Hichier. And their goaltender's very young in Mackenzie Blackwood. So yeah, look, I, I look at what he did with Adam Fox and, and I, I, I saw Fox play in in Traverse City, which is canceled for next year. And I, I shed a few tears over that. That is one of the greatest hockey things in the whole world and I'm so glad I got to do one. But I saw Fox play in, in Traverse City, and, and he was really good, but there was no idea, I think, at that point that if it wasn't for spectacular seasons from Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, that he would be in the conversation for Rookie of the Year. He's probably the number three guy, right? And if you're going to if you're gonna rake Lindy Ruff over the coals for whatever Ranger fans are raking him over the coals for, which I don't personally understand because I think the Rangers are a much better team than anybody expected him to be this year. Um, you have to give him credit in that he did that. And and I think the hope for the Devils is that he can come in and he can relate to Nico Heischer and Hughes and another really high-end pick, hopefully, this year for them. They're in, they're in that uh, first six or seven, so they should get another uh, impact player. And then, you know... Clearly, their defense is getting younger. They traded away most of their mainstays, including Andy Green, who was their captain. So, um, you know, I would like to see what he can do before I pass judgment on him. And to me, the most amazing thing is that Ranger fans and Devil fans are united in their scorn for Lindy Ruff. Um, <laughs> I never thought I would see it. I never thought I would see a Ranger coach come and coach the Devils. And then after that happened, that both sides would be unhappy with what happened. So let's let's at least give Lindy, who is a really smart hockey man, some time to figure it out. Yeah, and here's the other thing, is that he worked with a coach in David Quinn who is among the best at development that I have seen in the league. I mean, coming from BU and how well he has worked in the different ways he works with younger players as well. Lindy Ruff has been in the league a long time and he has like the last name fits the persona a little bit. It's, it's a bit rough, but it's, he, maybe he's softened a little bit. Maybe he's understood, you know, a little bit better how to deal with the players today. And, and, and I think that's very important. And 
obviously Tom Fitzgerald, who knows him, you know, who, who knows him very well from their time together, I believe it was in Florida, right? Uh, believes that as well. Marty Brodeur clearly believes that as well. And then they convinced the devil's ownership. So I think we all, like you said, we got to give Lindy Ruff a shot here. You got to give him a chance. Dan, how long have you known me? I think it's been since 2003 when we covered that Anaheim yeah. Devils Stanley Cup. I, I hate to ask this question because I don't know that I want to know the answer, but I like to think I'm a very different person than I was 17 years ago. Uh, do you agree? Um, uh, no, I'm kidding. Yes, of course, as, as, as am I. And I, I see your point there. No question. We all, we all grow yeah. up. We all learn from our experiences, from our failures. From Look, I, I can't imagine being an NHL coach because you're, you're hired to be fired. And when you're fired, it's a very public thing. And your owner tells you, this is what you did wrong. You didn't do this. You didn't like, it's got to, you're stripped doesn't just bare. tell you, he tells everybody else too. I know you're stripped bare in front of everybody. Yeah. And the good ones walk away from that and they don't get angry. They say, well, that's what I did wrong. Let me go find another opportunity where I can work on those things. And look, Lindy Ruff is an NHL head coach and he went and he became an assistant coach and it wasn't just, to collect the paycheck it was to work on the things that he wasn't good at and, and to become better at him and so again like i said i, I want to see what he can do in this situation yeah no question about it i uh, did want to hit on a few more things with the cba and the return to play with you sean and one of them i think is very important is a lot of fans especially fan with the minnesota wild the new york islanders the montreal canadians uh, because of prospects that they have are unsigned. Kirill Kaprasov, Alexander Romanov, Ilya Sorokin. Those players, I think it should be noted, those players can sign their contracts. There's a window that opens for them. So they can sign their entry-level contracts, but they cannot play this season. They can burn a year of their contract. They can go with their teams to into Phase 3, into Phase 4, but they cannot play this season. I, that was one of the the factors in this in the collective bargaining agreement and the return to play that a lot of people were interested in as if these guys were going to be able to play, they will not be able to play this season. And I remember back when they announced the return to play plan, Bill, Bill Daly was a little worried about guys coming in who weren't part of it. Um, so they gave the give to get these guys under contract and, uh, for the players, it's the benefit of burning a year of their entry level so they can become a restricted free agent sooner, but they can't get on the ice this year with their teams. No, and, and let me clarify one thing. Romanoff signed. He actually signed two contracts, one for if they came back and one for if they didn't. Um, and so he's the, the Canadians announced he's going to show up. It's going to take him a while. He's got to get a visa. He's got to be quarantined. He may not, not actually hit the ice with the Canadians until they leave uh, for phase four. But the, the attraction for all of these guys, and I would throw Scott Perunovich in, in St. Louis in there, the Hobie, Hobie Baker winner, is you get these guys in, you get them into camp, you get to see them, they get to see you. Um, and, and the next season is going to start so fast, really fast in Europe, right? Because they're ahead of us on the curve and they're going to try maybe to be a little delayed, but you're looking at September starts in, in most European leagues. The KHL has already started training camp, as crazy as that is. Yeah. So – if you don't sign these guys and if you don't agree to burn a year and allow them to become restricted free agents quicker than they would, um, the option of playing another year in Europe exists for all those guys. Romanoff could stay in Europe and play in the KHL again. And, you know, he, even if he comes here and he plays in, I mean, he practices in the bubble and Montreal gets knocked out in the first round, that's August 9th. 
the new training camp starts in November. There, there's really no impetus for him to go home. You know, he would probably stay in Montreal and become further acclimated and do off-season workouts and all those things. So they'll have control over what is one of their most prized prospects. So, again, it's kind of a win-win, I think, for both sides. Yeah, and I think also for the teams, too, to understand who they have under contract, right, for next season because that's such a big thing with the salary cap remaining flat. It's going to be $81.5 million next season as it was this season. So there are teams that are going to have to deal with some very difficult decisions and some are are probably dealing with some challenging decisions uh, you know in the coming days here of whether they're going to re-sign some of their guys that you know can get contract extensions or ufas whatever because there's windows opening for that as well but to have a little bit of certainty even if it's a younger player on an entry-level contract which are so important in the cap era these days having these players come in making under consideration to other players relatively little money under the cap that's so big for them to to get to understand that they're going to have that type of player like the wild having you know Kaprasov if he signs I mean that's so huge for them knowing what he's going to have next season and same thing with the Islanders with Sorokin because you know they're, they're going to they have Varlamov but that means that okay we'll have Sorokin we know for sure now we don't have to worry about Thomas Grice our goaltending is set um, there, there are some certain cap certainties there that I think are very important because that's no small thing. And we touched on it with Tom that the cap is remaining flat at 81.5 and could be going forward. And it's only going to go up maybe a million in the next few years. There's going to lead to a lot of hard decisions for a lot of teams. Yeah, and teams are going to get younger and they're going to get cheaper. I, I think you're going to see the superstars that are under contract and then, you know, even more pronounced than it was when we first did this, that, that kind of – older middle class is, is, you know, going to be a luxury that some teams can't, can't afford. So I think you're going to need, get even younger. And I, and I think out of all those guys, I think Sorokin is, is the guy that is the biggest one because, look, we've all learned if you can have a goalie oh. that's good on an entry-level contract, only eating up one, two, three percent of your salary cap – and he's a he's a playoff caliber goalie. The Flyers and, and Carter Hart right now. The Winnipeg Jets had it with with the Hellebuck for a while. Um, the Penguins you know, with Matt Murray. <laughs> yeah, the these guys are make GMs look really smart mm-hmm. because you know what's your biggest your biggest expense? Look at Florida with Bobrovsky. You know that's their biggest expense. And and has he made that big a difference? No. Can he? Maybe. But could you argue that Carter Hart? is a better goalie than Bobrovsky right now at one fifteenth the price. Like it, that's a lot of flexibility for a GM, you know, for those three years. And then even that next contract, because you're a restricted free agent is not onerous. It's the one after that, that really is going to cause your problems. But if, if you have a, a team that's in that window and you have a really cheap goalie, you can make a lot of, deadline decisions that make your window much more open than it might be. So he's huge for the Islanders, I think. Yeah. And, and to play off of that a little bit too, because well, I mentioned Matt Murray. Now the Penguins are probably going to have to make a decision on their goalie who they want to keep Matt Murray or Tristan Jerry. They can't keep both of them with the cap being flat. Uh, the Washington Capitals, Braden Holtby is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Braden Holtby could very well lead the Washington Capitals to the Stanley cup this season and not resi- not resign because they can't afford it because they have Samsonov similar to like you know Barry Trotz I guess you know in a, in a coaching perspective right uh, leads him to the Stanley Cup and then doesn't come back so and then there's teams like the New York Rangers with Henrik Lundqvist the Nashville Predators 
uh, with Pecorine, the, the Minnesota Wild with Devin Dubnik. I mean, difficult decisions with goalies who are still under contract for next season too. So like you said, I mean, if you can get a goalie on an entry-level contract, Sean, I mean, those, those are so valuable to your team and it's going to create some difficult decisions for, for teams going forward. And look, you just named a bunch of guys. Those decisions start right now, right? And to me, the most fascinating thing about when we get to phase four and we start playing games is there's probably 12 out of the 24 markets where you wonder who's going to be the goalie, yeah. right? You know, Tukarask is going to be the goalie in Boston. You know that Bobrovsky is going to be the goalie in Florida, at least to start. But then you talked about all those other guys, you know, who plays in New York, both New York markets, who plays for the Islanders, who plays for the Rangers. Does Pekka Rene get his job back for the Predators if, if he's better, you know, in camp because he wasn't the starting goalie at the end. Does Tristan Jarry supersede the two-time cup winning Matt Murray, like Matt Murray superseded Marc-Andre Fleury. Like to me, the goaltending is just going to be, those goaltending questions are going to be unbelievable. And, and you make the wrong decision and you're going to have to live with it until the next season starts. No question about it. There's also a couple other pieces of news that we're, we've been getting over the weekend and they're filtering in uh, players opting out. And then there's also the decision that the Montreal Canadiens uh, made with Max Domi that he's not going to report for at least seven to 10 days. Now, starting with Domi and similar to Capocacco, uh, he has diabetes, type 1 diabetes. So it, he is not more prone from everything I've heard and read. He is not more prone to contracting the coronavirus. But if he does contract it, he is more prone to worse symptoms than a lot, than, than your regular person would get, I guess. Um, because of the diabetes. So they're, they're going to hold off a little bit on him. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Rangers and Kako too. And we might know that by the time this podcast goes up uh, for you to listen to, because I'll be at their practice today, later today. Um, and you're also getting the opting out players and it's their decision. There's no penalty involved. We've had a few of them. Travis Hamanick was the first one. And I read his Instagram post on why it's all for total health reason. Um, it makes, I mean, I'll never, you'll never hear me argue uh, with a player who's making a decision that is for the benefit of his family. No, and I think all of the ones, uh, there's been five or six at this point, and the deadline is, is later today. By tomorrow, the, the rosters will be set. There is no penalty, um, and, and most of them have been for health reasons, whether it's the player himself or the family. Look, your job's important. Our jobs are important, but for me, the safety of my family is far more important. I know it is for you and, and it is for everybody. Like, you know, there's nothing I would like to do more than be in a, in a building covering hockey and, and doing all the things that we've done before, but it's not feasible right now. And, and, you know, I would love to be out doing stuff here, you know, while I'm not covering hockey and that's not feasible right now. So you make these decisions and you make them for your family and you, and you can't be selfish about it. And, and I think everybody understands everybody has a family, whether it's kids or parents or grandparents. Um, and if you're educated on what's happening, you know that the things that you do impact others and you have to weigh the pluses and the minuses. Yeah, and one thing I know about the hockey community, especially hockey players, is nobody's going to hold a grudge on a player. Nobody's going to hold it against him if he if he's making these decisions, and especially for the reasons that they are making them. So I think that's a very important thing to note. But people do hold a grudge if you get your predictions wrong. They they don't they don't forget that, Sean. So that is something. Before we wrap this up, we touched on it with Tom, and you ducked 
So let's not duck anymore. Uh, let's do some predictions and we'll do the broad ones. We don't have to hit on every series right now. There's still time for that. But as you look at this teams coming back to, to practice phase three opening, who do you like in the East? Who do you like in the West? Yeah. Look in the East. Like I hate to be that guy. That's like, I'm going to go chalk, but I'm going to go chalk. I, I, I think you have to beat the Boston Bruins. Like, they're the best team in the league. They got the game seven of the Stanley Cup finals last year. You know, arguably they have the best goaltender. They have the best first line, I think, in hockey. And, and you know, Brad Marchand and, and, and Bergeron, they have, what, five guys that have played more than 100 NHL playoff games. I, I think they're just made for this tournament. They've been through every disaster you could think of they've been through every injury you could think of Patrice Bergeron's been through every injury you could think of I I just think that they're made for this tournament and then you know if if you wanted to look at a, a team that's not chalk um again I I don't know that I'm going way out on a limb because they're the five seed but I think if the Penguins can figure out a goalie um they're tough to beat. They're getting Gensel back. They're getting a bunch of pieces back that they didn't have um, throughout the year. They, uh, they were one of the most banged up teams this whole year. And, you know, the thought is that everybody would come back healthy. And if they can figure out a goaltender um, that can get them through, they're going to be really tough out. But that's the East. What about the West? I'll, I'll give you, well, you know, before you get to, to well, West, what about I'll, your East? Yeah, I was about to do that. I'll give you my East. So, I'm going to go right back. Uh, it's like I'm jumping back on a horse, but, you know, that, that I fell off of last year um, quickly. You know, it, it kicked and I fell off the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I, I'm going right back to the Lightning. I think that they are situated perfectly for a tournament like this. They have a lot of speed and skill. They'll get up and running. They have terrific goaltending, uh, strong D, leadership, experience, and hunger. And I think all of that will factor in. Uh, little concerned about Stamkos, a little bit concerned about an injury to Steven Stamkos, but they say he'll be back for phase four for sure and ready to go. So I am going to go with the Tampa Bay Lightning to come out of the Eastern Conference. But if I had a sleeper team, and I am going to stick in the state of Florida, and the reason is I'm going to go with the Panthers as my sleeper team because Sergei Bobrovsky did not have a good season. But Sergei Bobrovsky now gets a fresh start. That team can score. We know they can. They're going to be very difficult to contain offensively. But their problem was on the back end, and their problem was in goal. But if he returns and is the Sergei Bobrovsky that we know, I think the Florida Panthers can do a lot of damage. I can see that. I Look, Stamkos concerns me with the injury history that he's had in his career. And, look, everybody's rushing to get back, and, you know, you worry about – the potential for injuries and you know if you're already compromised to a degree it's I believe it's another lower body injury so you know that's where all this power comes from uh, and as far as Florida yeah I look I've been on that bandwagon every year pretty much since Sasha Bokoff got in the league right like he's such a special player and he just hasn't had enough around him so if Bobrovsky's the Bobrovsky that beat the the Tampa Bay Lightning last year yeah, they got a they got a fighters they got a puncher's chance. Absolutely, they do. And Bar Barkov's got a lot around him now. It's just a question of can they keep the puck out of the net? And that was their biggest problem this season. And and the other thing I think about Florida uh, is the experience that they have on the bench with Joel Quenville and, and Mike Kitchen too. So huge experience on the bench. What about the West for you? See, to me, the West is just a complete 
gong show. I don't know who's going to come out, right? Like, you got the Blues there, who is Stanley Cup champions. Make and, and, a prediction. And we're playing well. <laughs> um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to okay. say that the Predators figured out their goaltending, and they come out of the West. I think they lose. That's a team that's right underachieved now. all year. New coach, you know, and he's had all this time to figure out what his team's going to do. I, I like them, and I like the Vegas Golden Knights. If, you, if you're picking a favorite for me, it's the Vegas Golden Knights who are hitting their stride right before this happened. And I don't know if they come out with the same chemistry, but that team's loaded. Yeah, they, they were terrific. Under I think they were 15-5-2 after they made the coaching change to Peter DeBoer. They were, they were awesome, no question about it. I think they're legit Vegas, no question about it. I actually think Arizona beats Nashville in the first round, but we'll leave the reasoning for all that behind for another day. Uh, for me in the Western Conference, it's the Colorado Avalanche, another team that I think is perfectly situated for this type of tournament in that they are young, fast, skilled, uh, they can get up and running fast, and they the question mark of goaltending does exist. I get that. Uh, Grubauer and Pavel Fransu, not a lot of experience. Fransu's never played in a playoff game. Grubauer, I believe, has 16 playoff appearances, but you know hasn't really gone deep. Uh, won the Cup with the Capitals, but was the goalie for only the first two games of that run. Um, but I, I think with everything that they have around those goaltenders, they'll be able to, as long as they get some solid goaltending there, I like the Colorado Avalanche a lot, and I think there's a hunger there to prove that they are legit and they are for real. So my Stanley Cup final right now, if we're t- you know we'll, we're doing it out here on July 13th in the morning before any team opens its training camp, I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I'm going to go Vegas and Boston. And for both of those, normally we'd be like, oh boy, that's a lot of travel. No travel. No when travel. When we get to the final, it'll be in Edmonton. It'll be every other day. It, it, There'll be no travel excuses. There'll be no jet lag excuses. It'll just be hockey every 48 hours, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So No matter who get plays, there. it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Now, let's get there. Let's get through phase three. Let's get there, uh, and we'll wrap it up right now. Sean, this was great. Uh, we'll be back, hopefully, maybe later this week to do another one. Until then, everybody stay safe out there.